something that the police just showed up and gone, ah, well, F him. You're listening to Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong. Welcome to episode 195 of Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong podcast. I'm Dave Roberts. With me, she's got beauty, she's got brains, she's writer, journalist, dog mom, Jessica Salaji. Good morning-ish, Dave. Well, it is for us. Yeah. How Although, yeah, I could drag, we could drag our feed, bullsh- <laughs> bowling. <laughs> Caught myself. Already. Uh, <laughs> until it becomes the afternoon. I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, recovering. The physical therapy has started, and uh, uh, hopefully I'll be mobile again, at least able to drive. It kind of sucks having to be dependent on people to drive me around because I can't bend my knee. Yeah, you're not a fan. No. You know, if had I bought a, an old pickup truck with a bench seat, at least could have put, you know, because it's my right leg, out to the side. But, you know, everything with bucket seats now, you can't really do that. True. You'll see me on on the Georgia Gazette with a with a uh, uh, mugshot, unsafe operation of vehicle or something. Nice. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. I mean, I'll, again, once again, my week will be kind of summed up in the show, so I won't get too off in the weeds. But you're the only woman I believe when you say fine. Oh. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's I can do a- though. I can do like sometimes I say fine and I mean things are actually fine and sometimes i say fine and i mean fine but yeah no 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 usually uh, you're right i'm fine Ooh, no it's gonna be one of those days <laughs> exactly so we have u.s air marshals have been teaching flight attendants self-defense tactics for dealing with unruly passengers i mean i'm not According super the- go ahead so according to the FAA, there have been more than 4,700 unruly passengers this year alone. That's more than double that was reported in 2020. Not super passionate about the story. It just kind of like was a nice segue from the rest of the self-defense conversation we're going to have. And, um, you know, I've never been on a flight with an unruly passenger, but it sounds like you have. So, Well, you know... I, I assumed they had self-defense training anyway. Uh, I, certainly, if if I knew anybody who was, a, who was a flight attendant, not just for unruly passengers, just you, you're traveling to foreign countries and, and you never know what's going to happen. You probably should know how to handle yourself. No, I had a... Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the scene for you and, it's, and then I'll... So Set the scene, yes. All right, we're flying to to Costa Rica, and a uh, guy gets on late. Uh, uh, black dude gets on late. He's sitting next to 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 a white lady, and the aggressor during this flight is the lady, and she's I don't know if she took an Ambien or drunk or just obnoxious, but apparently, like we thought they were together, like she was touching him and and stuff like that so the flight attendant had come over and he was like sweetie you've got to stop touching him please he doesn't want you to t- like 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 you're talking about a kindergartner you've got to keep your hands to yourself and he finally said look 
I don't want to make it so you can't fly on Delta anymore. But what struck me, as as nice as as nice as the as the stew was, had the roles been reversed, that dude would have been thrown off the flight and duct taped to his chair or something. So we we saw him in customs and we started messing with him. It's like we told him, was like, "Man, I don't know." And he's like, "Man, I I don't know what her problem was," and I was like, "Dude, we thought you guys were together because you have to be sitting next." He goes, "He goes, he goes Lord, no." But it was it was funny, you know. It was funny in the moment, and then you know we were kind of talking about on the on the ride out to the, to the resort. Like, if he had been the aggressor and touching her, it would have been you know it would have been much different. Oh yeah, the flight probably would have diverted. Yeah, <laughs> land in Cuba or something on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Turn around and land land in Houston or something. Especially if he especially if he was black. And that's and that's kind of that's the only reason I even mentioned this race was it would have been a much different conversation rather than being a a uh, anecdote about about how the the flight attendant handled it reasonably. I don't think he would have been that reasonable had the roles been reversed. So, uh, but yeah, it's but that's minor stuff. I've never seen anybody run up and down the aisles yelling "bomb" or bang on the on the uh, uh, the flight deck door. Uh, anything like that. I mean, I've seen drunk people go to sleep. Uh, uh, <laughs> my brother, we were flying back one day. I, I think we were in Dallas flying back. And dude gets on there and, and, and smells like he hasn't, I don't know, showered in three weeks. And, and sits right next to sits right next to my brother for, you know, a two-hour flight back from, uh, from DFW. Well, so when you say that you thought that they had, like, training already, what did you think? Well, I thought you- the... the- the airlines gave some sort of basic uh, training on how to handle yourself, you know, especially since 9-11. If, if someone yeah, attempts to take over an airplane point. or something like that, that there was some sort of basic uh, defense tactics, you know, how to, how to use the, the BEV cart, how, how, to, how to isolate somebody, you know, get them, in the, get them in, the, in the lavatory and lock them in or something like that. I, I figured that's some basic... Uh, form of of uh, of hand to hand, but you know I don't I I think it's a pretty good use of of uh, air marshal time to to trade because plus if something that the, the the flight attendant can can take care of whether it's body posture or basic techniques is something that the the air marshal doesn't have to expose himself or herself. You know, that, That's that, true. That's true. The air marshal can can stay seated. And just keep an eye on the situation and not let everybody else in the plane know, hey, I'm a federal officer. That's true. Have you ever seen, like, have you ever identified the air marshal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. First of all, I ran into an air marshal I know flying back from Panama. Yeah. Uh, He doesn't look like an air marshal. He's, uh, He's in his 50s. He's got a few extra pounds. But the guy that was on with him, his partner... Like screams, uh, either either private military contractor or federal contractor, just screams it, just looking at them. But yeah, I, I, they're if you know what you're looking for, they're easy, pretty easy to identify when you're out of the country because they can't typically they don't carry their firearms around outside of the country, so they have a dual control case. You have a case with two different locks on it. 
that it takes both of them to open, and you, you, it's pretty easy. They're they're decently easy to identify. <laughs> Moving on with the self defense special. Uh, District Attorney's Office in South Georgia is prosecuting a domestic violence victim who killed an abuser after they previous uh, abuser. I'm sorry, not after they previously prosecuted. I'm sorry, I am still on pain meds. It's okay. It's all right. Um, so this is if you follow me on Facebook, you're familiar with this, or if you read the Georgia Virtue, because I I wrote about this story, but this is one that I mean. I, I talk about our district attorney's office a lot, and it's one of those where I think I've like I've found the story that hit the bottom, and then a screw drops out, and the bottom drops out further. Like this is just next level ridiculousness. Um, and and all the stories I like I don't mean to say that one story is worse than the other because I feel like anytime someone's rights are trampled or due process is not, um, you know, I, I think all the stories that we've talked about are, are bad. I just this is one that is just hard to, um, you know. Oh yeah, I, I hate this story. Yeah, absolutely so, hate this story. I mean, no, it's important. It's important that you cover it and all that. So I don't mean I hate it from that that aspect of it, but that's just it, awful. Yes. So, so I, I, we have a lot of immunity hearings right now, and and we talked about what immunity hearings mean, and and that it's like when under certain circumstances under the law, you're allowed to. Your defense attorneys are allowed the opportunity to make the argument that um, you should be immune from prosecution because you were defending your life, someone else's or, you know, whatever. Uh, There's certain stipulations under the law. And so I saw on the calendar that there was an immunity hearing and and I was familiar with the case. I knew that a female had shot her boyfriend in their home and it happened last summer and I knew that she was out on bond. But um, as is usually the case, you know, you don't know a lot of the details because the police kind of keep everything close to the vest when they're still investigating. And um, there hadn't been a whole lot of there was a bond hearing, but I didn't go. It was during COVID and like the COVID shutdown and um, of the courts. And so I, I didn't really know much of what I was going into. And so I went on Monday and um, the woman was there. Uh, she had her family behind her. She had some attorneys who were from Dublin and the prosecutors were, were there. And there was one other reporter and me and, and they start, um, you know, going through the evidence and, and, and asking questions of the crime scene analysts and, um, the States making their case as this is all going on as to basically like painting this woman as a monster. And as it turns out, um, we, we find that, um, there was an argument in the bathroom and, and in the bedroom on the day of this incident. Um, he had been threatening to F her up and um, trying to fight her. And he had shoved her in between the bed and the crib and, you know, just a, a bunch of domestic things. Um, and and uh, she when she had been in the shower, actually, when it started and he 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 pulled the shower curtain down and uh got her out of the shower and, and she was naked during the time of the incident. She went back into the bathroom at one point and slammed the door in his face. Um, and that obviously made him more angry and he was banging on the door, banging on the walls, throwing stuff around in the bedroom. And she had hit a gun under the bathroom sink. Um, she had been hidden in lots of different places around the house. Once he found out she had a gun, she, she kept moving it cause she didn't want him to find it. And um, he opened the bathroom door. She, she fired twice. Uh, one of the shots hit him, and he she 
she he died. Um, she immediately, like during all of this, um, went to try to find her phone to call nine one one because she saw him, you know, on the ground and moaning and groaning and everything. Couldn't find her phone. Ran to go outside to get the neighbors and realized she was still stark naked. So she ran back, got her clothes, grabbed the gun because she didn't know if he was, you know, gone or what. And then went and banged on the door of the neighbors and who was hysterically begging for their phone to call 911. So we hear this phone call um, from the, we hear the 911 call, which is almost completely inaudible. Um, and she's just hysterical. We hear the, we see the body cam footage of the uh, police arriving on the scene. And, you know, that's difficult to watch, not as difficult to listen as it was to listen to the call. Um, and then <laughs> we, we heard from, um, the person who you know, a lot of scientific stuff like the person who did the autopsy we were from a geometry teacher who talked about angles and trajectories of guns or of bullets and stuff which I'll get into in a minute but we heard from this woman who shot and killed her boyfriend um and she she took the stand which is not all that common because a lot of times defense attorneys don't want to put their client up when there's a possibility of a trial, because of course, anything you say can and will be used against you. But she testified for like, I think over an hour and a half. Um, and she was cross-examined and stuff. And she talked about years of abuse, um, and all these incidents and very specific incidents that provoked him to do things like choke her and to the point that she passed out and, um, threatened to kill her and, flipped out because she brought home grilled shrimp from her job as opposed to fried shrimp, which if anyone has ever had any type of like situation where they're familiar with domestic violence, um, those are the types of things that set people off. It's not the big incidents. It's the little things and how she, she talked about living in, in fear and walking on eggshells and, um, just all of this stuff. And in 2018, the district attorney's office that's prosecuting her prosecuted him for aggravated assault because while she was nine weeks pregnant, he pushed her, shoved her, knocked her down, choked her, kicked her repeatedly in the stomach to the point where she had pelvic hemorrhaging and she fled from their apartment on foot. Um, and and the, he pleaded guilty to um, aggravated assault and theft by taking because he took her car and was sentenced to 121 or 120 days in a PDC facility plus drug and alcohol rehab. Um, and so he was gone for approximately a year at, at total but the same and she was she was pregnant at the time now, she now was. the baby's around she did yes yeah, she did she did not lose the baby um which is honestly a miracle um but she didn't lose the baby uh the baby was born i think in late 2018 he got out um in the beginning of 2020 of course, they weren't back together, but she let him see the child. And then eventually, as a lot of times happens with domestic violence cases, um, they ended up back together. And that it was that was he got out in January at the end of January. They started kind of their relationship again in March. It wasn't going well, but the, she said the abuse started again. And, and by June 5th of 2020, she had shot and killed him. But um, they had I I they had neighbors testify that they heard all um, lots of arguing on his part. They didn't really testify to hearing her yell or scream very much. They had neighbors testify. They had four neighbors total testify that um, 
you know, they saw him smash her phone outside. They watched him throw her keys in bushes as tall as the house so that she couldn't find them and leave. That they watched him block her from a vehicle. Um, that they 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 always saw him being the aggressor. And then at the bond hearing, there was testimony where a woman who didn't know either of them but lived across the road saw him outside with his foot on her on her back one day um, while she was on the ground and and just berating her his own brother was um separated them at one point because he spit in her face like just years like all this evidence all these people and they're prosecuting this woman because they allege that the first shot did not hit him the second shot did and she was justified in firing the first shot but not justified in firing the second shot and they happened three to four seconds apart Huh. Well, one, I don't know how you verify that. That's that's going to be witness accounts saying it was two to three second difference. How in the hell they can figure out which round hit him and which didn't. Also, you have to realize when you watch movies, you watch TV and you see someone uh, hit by a projectile, you see them fly backwards or immediately fall over. That's not necessarily how it goes. Now, every once in a while, you'll stone somebody, uh, which is, you know, you, we talk about it with spear fishing, talk about it with uh, with hunting. Uh, same thing with, with firearms defense is when you say you stone somebody, you, hit, you hit, hit them perfect, and they just fall down right there, but those instances are rare. And it's one of the things that they teach, I'm sure they teach police officers, they, they teach uh, anybody in combat arms that even though you're hit, you're still in the fight. So even if right. he was struck with the first one, one, he may be so enraged and so, so full of adrenaline that he doesn't know he's hit or, or he knows he hit, he's hit and he keeps coming. And in the time that, that she fired the second shot, he, he falls over and collapses and goes down. But, so, but the, 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 the standard is that you, you shoot to neutralize the threat. And if she perceived him to still be coming at her, that's all that matters. Right. We're not talking about hit him once, he goes down, and then she stood over him and, and, and emptied a kill the shot at him. Right. Right. Uh, in fact, and even if she did, I mean, how are they going to know that first? I mean, but again, well, you, you know that from the, from the blood splatter and sure, but there was none of that. that. I mean, there was none. It's just, it's so just, so like I said, I didn't know what I was going into. And, and, um, I was, I mean, by the time we adjourned for lunch, I was very upset about what I'd heard and she hadn't even testified yet. I, we'd only heard from the neighbors and I, I left and I went to, I ran out of paper because again, I was unprepared. So I had to go to the store and I called my mom and I'm like, you are not going to believe what is happening in the Bullitt County Superior Court, right? Like you are not going to believe this. And I'm telling her and she's like, what? Like just and every single person I talked to was like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm like, no, this is actually happening. And then after lunch, when this girl testified, I mean, it was gut-wrenching. And she, she is a good girl who got messed up with the wrong guy. Like, she was, she has a, comes from a good family. She had moved to Statesboro to, to get her to get her college degree. She got her four-year degree when she had the baby and he was in jail and in, in his facility. Her parents watched him or watched their do- the baby on weekend so she could work she worked full-time all along like just a good 
individual. And this person, her, the, the guy that she was involved with, had already been arrested and had 22 cycles. He was a convicted felon, like just obstruction, uh, fleeing from officers, DUI, selling drugs. He had a drug case um, for like dis- distribution, not just possession, dead docketed when he was sent to jail for her incident. And, you know, it- it's just mind blowing that this case is being prosecuted in the first place. And second, that you want to argue over which shot it was when they happened so close together as if it really freaking matters. And if he ran away, like, how was she if she if she perceived him to be coming back towards her? Like I said, that's really it's what she perceived. And if you if you look at the evidence and everything else around it, it's obvious that this guy, if like it's not unbelievable to think that he turned violent all of a sudden because he'd done it for years. And it yeah, to and it. that's and that's the very sad thing about domestic abuse is the cycle of okay, he's different now. Okay, he learned. He learned this time. Okay, he promised he would never do it again. And in a lot of cases, I'm not going to say every case because you know you can't speak categorically. Sometimes uh, something happens, and with family counseling and things like that, uh, uh, people go on to to live you know productive productive lives together. Uh, I would assign it to this. This guy's had a history of abuse. This is a guy who will beat down a a bathroom door, rip down a, sh- a shower curtain um, as if he's going after a roach. That's right. a callback oh, to ha, a much, ha, ha, much ha, ha. earlier oh, episode. Oh, isn't Aren't you so funny? Um, <laughs> a pre-Stanley episode, too. Sure. Uh, but this, this guy has a... This is something that the neighbors should have been calling police. At the point where you see a man standing on a woman's back or putting a foot down on her back or smashing her phone or throwing her keys. That's not, even if you don't call police, that's something you reach out to her and say, can I get you some help? Can I get you to a shelter? What, what can we do to, you know, you don't deserve this and your child deserves better than grow up in a home where abuse is the norm. Right. And you know, there used to be, there used to be a commercial on, Oh, this is years and years and years ago, but it was a domestic abuse commercial. And just like you're talking about the little things, and you, it's a, you hear the voices, and he, sa- and, uh, he says, well, what's for dinner? She goes, pizza. And he, and he goes, pizza? I could have gotten pizza at the office. And then the abuse starts. But you're right. It's, the, it's, little, it's not coming home and finding her in bed with another man. It's stupid stuff like, you know, I like fried shrimp instead of grilled. It, it's, just, it's, it's disgusting. And yeah. you know what? The, the world is a better place with him not in it. And listen to this. This is, this is something that... Um didn't come up at the immunity hearing, but, you know, during after like during the lunch hour, I went downstairs and was reading on the case in the clerk's office because I'm like, what, you know, what, what am I missing here? Like, what has come up that would put them in a position to charge her for this? They charged her the same day or the day after, too. Like, they didn't, it, there was no, it, it was baffling. But in the bond hearing, the woman who lived across the street that testified that um, she saw when she was going for a walk one day, she saw him have her on the ground and he had his back, her foot, his foot on her back with the shoes on. Um, it, he, she also said that 
the day of the shooting, of course, you know, once they realize that there had been a murder, there's all kinds of police cars in the corner and everything. And I guess she's, she testified that the, his name is Brandon McRae, um, that his father came over to her house and said, you know, it asked if they knew, if she knew them and, and all and whatnot. And he said to her again, I'm just t- explaining what she testified to, but that the father said, that he'd been beating on her for a while and he was surprised that this all didn't um, happen, like come to a head sooner because he'd been beating on her for so long. And at one point they, when they had split up, you know, she had talked, she testified that she talked to his mother and, and she was aware, like I said, his brother had pulled them apart at one point. Like his family was aware of his uh, poor judgment with regard to her and, and, you know, I, there's always people who comment on stories like this and it's frustrating because it shows a lack of understanding about, you know, why did she go back or why did she do this or why didn't, why didn't her family step? It's just, it just is, it's just how it is. It's how the cycle of abuse works. There's financial things. They had a kid together. I mean, there's a million things. She testified like, I loved him. I didn't, you know, I thought he would change. I thought after he was in jail, it would have changed. And it it doesn't matter really at the end of the day. What matters is that she did go back. And on the day in question, she thought when he said, I'm going to F you up and, and was, you know, pushing on her and shoving her and, and had, ripped the shower curtain down while she was naked in the shower trying to get ready. Um, She thought that he was going to hurt her again as he had in the past where he had choked her to the point of passing out. And, and he, he told her he was going to kill her. Like she feared for her life and she shot and killed him. And um, she wasn't familiar with a gun. She, she testified like when she was cross-examined, this is, this is what was so frustrating was, you know, she's not experienced. Um, she, I don't think she really had control over the, the firearm. And she testified that first she said on cross-examination that she didn't, she didn't want to kill him. Like she didn't mean to kill him. She just wanted to make him stop and scare him to the degree, like not to do this anymore because she was, she didn't want him to hurt her. And then they kept on, they kept on and, and, I, I don't know if she got confused or what she meant because obviously it contradicts what she said a few minutes before, but she said, like, I didn't mean to shoot him. She just wanted to, I guess she thought, I think she thought, or from the testimony, it came across that she thought that if she pointed the gun at him, that would be enough to make him go away. And then the gun went off. Well, then prosecutors argued that, um, and then after the argument was after she, the gun went off the first time when she saw him coming for her again, she shot him again because or she shot again because she thought, well, now he knows I have a gun, and if he gets a hold of this gun, he's definitely going to kill me. That's That was her rationale. Well, prosecutors latched on to the fact that she said, I didn't mean to kill him, and argued that under the self-defense claims that you have to mean to, to, to shoot and kill, and, and you have to own the act, and they said she didn't own the act, and so they called for the immunity petition to be dismissed and cited some code section or some case law, and the next morning the judge granted that dismissal, and so she's going to have to stand trial. Um, no, you don't have to mean to kill him. Right. You, you have to mean to, as you said before, 
stop the attack. Right. It's- and but but again, so so but by that if by that logic, like what you just said, if she accidentally fired and that didn't hit him, and the second time she meant to fire and that hit him and killed him, still, what are we doing here? And again, this is the same prosecutor's office. Yes. That put him away the first time for beating her and choking her and kicking her in the stomach while pregnant. I believe that was in the story. I mean, I no, I, I followed your story on this one. I mean, it was very, very well written. Uh, not, not a pleasure to read. It's one of those one of those stories where every time you read another sentence, you're like, oh my God. That's and exactly just, how the entire day was. Yeah. It, it was like, as, as you read these stories, uh, read the story, as you get deeper and deeper into this, every time you read another sentence or start another paragraph, it's like, oh my, like you talked about, where's the bottom? Like how did it just keeps getting worse. And to, and to complete the cycle of abuse, now it's the prosecutor's office and the criminal justice system that's abusing her. Right. And, you know, like I said, it's not about me. It's not about anyone who's in that courtroom. And it's not about anybody but this, this woman, quite, quite frankly, as Daphne Totten would say. It was very, everyone was, who was listening, I think, was, was upset other than the prosecutors and some of the people who had process uh like the detective or whatever but uh some woman she didn't even know when we took a break went out in the hall and just hugged her and was like i'm so sorry this happened to you i'm so sorry you were put in this position and like i'm praying for you and and i'm just i'm just sorry like because there's nothing you can do i mean that's and again i know that like the eternal consequences like we have a justice system and i know that I don't think the wheels of justice are turning here. I don't think that this is the proper mechanism, but I know that we can't just rely on what God's going to do to us and and hold us accountable. But this woman still has to live with the fact that she took someone's life. And at some point, her daughter, who is, I think, maybe two or three now, is going to ask questions, and she's going to have to tell her that mommy shot daddy and killed him one day while you were at daycare. Like, those are heavy things to have to deal with. And on top of all of that, you're charging her with felony murder. Right. And here's the thing. She needs to, she needs to be taken care of. She needs to get in touch with uh, one of a domestic abuse survivors group uh, to deal with a lot of things. Like it's not your fault that he, that he was the way he was. Not your fault. You didn't do anything to to earn this abuse. And she, honestly, she needs to get in, get in a group to help her deal with the fact that he is the one that ended his life by doing this. Right. You know you. You know yeah. she had no other choice. Exactly. She, th- this. And look, survivor's guilt is very very real. And well, even when this is over, and God willing, this will be a straight up not guilty, not a mistrial, nothing else, not guilty. And then she gets to start picking up the pieces, but she and her family are having to to spend spend a ton of money to defend her, something that the police just showed up and gone, ah, well, F him. Well, you know, when they, so we had listened, we had sat in court all day on Monday, and then they, at the end of the day, like 4.45, the prosecutors made the motion 
to um, dismiss this. And the judge said, I'll, you know, do some research this evening and I'll, I'll enter an order in the morning on, on this. And so we got there at nine and nine Oh five, you know, we're done because he's dismissed it. And the prosecutors walked out gloating and just like, as if they'd won. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, like what kind of person thinks they've won? Like, even if you are trying to win the case, like who thinks in this situation that you're winning because you're prosecuting someone? Second, now you're going to have to try it. Please, I can't, I mean, I'm I am mortified that this is happening, but I cannot wait to watch a jury. I who are you gonna pick? Who what what person? You find one person with a daughter or a wife or a mother, which pretty much means anyone, like there and and you because you're not gonna be able to exclude the previous abuse. You're just not. Right. And, so, and I don't know how you bring it up, bring it up without it being thrown out. But the fact that the prosecutor's familiar with this because y'all put him in jail the first time for beating up on her. Right. right. And then they're going to bring, then the defense is going to bring in experts in domestic abuse and is going to address the fact that whatever you know, people are going to think is, well, why'd you, why'd you let them back in the house? And they're going to explain, this is the cycle of abuse. Well, and I, I know that we have to move on soon. And so I don't, I mean, this is definitely a case that we'll talk about some more because I'm not going to um, just let this one. See yeah. This is not a one hit wonder for you. No, no, not at all. And she has great attorneys and I, I think she's well represented and I don't know what they're going to you know, I don't. I don't know what can happen when your immunity thing is dismissed like that. I, I don't. I've never been through that process before, so I don't know. But um, it's, and I don't know what kind of help she's getting. I, I, I don't know any. Of, I don't know the girl, so you know, it's. But it's a case that quickly becomes personal, and even the people who are like, I mean, even somebody who's like, why did she go back? Why did she do this? Why did she? Why did she not do that? Any, even the people who are asking that, they're only asking that because they're so appalled by the facts. And right, and and look, it, this is this right here is why people like me give the advice of do not talk to police without an attorney. Do not, because they they had her there after the incident. They're She's unrepresented at the point at, at this point, and they're asking her to to recall while mm-hmm. she's shaken up, mm-hmm. and quite honestly, probably still physically shaking. Oh yeah, they, they said she was tr- crying and upset, and I mean, you can see it. And hysterical on the phone. And at this point, we're going to pounce on her at her weakest possible point, and then try to get her to incriminate herself. And there is so much evidence on. I mean, it's why when someone is a witness to a bank robbery, they cannot accurately recall, you know, how tall someone was or what they were wearing. It When you are in a car accident, you don't always ad, uh, properly recall what direction something was coming from or where you were, like, because the mind is not trained. It's in, when it's in a state of trauma, it's why they don't let people or why they tell officers who are involved in a shooting, don't talk to the authorities investigating this on the night of the shooting because you're your mind needs time 
to process. And it sometimes takes weeks or months. And so the fact in this case, they're holding her to what she said in those hours after or that she didn't recall this or she didn't recall that or when she gave a statement and then she was asked this, she said something different. Her mind may still be processing like there was an there was a case in in Camden County where it was almost a year before the officer could recall the the scenario as it played out in in order yeah well it's i heard a comedian talk about being robbed and they said well they're asking me uh what did he look like uh he was uh whitish blackish uh somewhere between five one and six seven huh well, what kind of gun did he have? Oh, that was a Smith and Wesson three fifty seven with a five inch barrel, chrome, uh, chrome plated, because mm-hmm. that's what he was focused on. Uh, but it, you know, he, he obviously delivered it a lot better than I did because sure. he's a professional comedian. But, but that's but that's kind of a, an interesting of way that your mind works is you don't in that time of panic you're not processing everything and it, and it may take time to unpack everything that happened to you. But it's really solid advice for anybody. Uh, if anything worth, anything like that happens, you do not speak to the police without representation. And you don't have to be rude about it. You just say, I can't talk right now. I really, I think I need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, 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 that, and that's it. And that's, that's one of the uh, self-defense people have said that before, is if you ever have to use a firearm in self-defense, tell them you're really shaken up and you need to go, you need to go to the hospital. And, and get distance and then contact your attorney. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Uh, it's, uh, well, I, it's sick. But yeah, this is not the last that we'll talk about it, and certainly not the last you'll, you'll write about it. But after that, this is a good time to remind you that these are our opinions and not those of anyone not on the show or any respective company for which we may work, own, or otherwise associate ourselves with on a regular or irregular basis. Also, you can find other episodes and relevant stories over at thegeorgiavirtue.com. We have a theme this week. We have the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. This is the Kenosha kid. Uh, Rittenhouse is facing counts of reckless, intentional, and attempted homicide after he fatally shot Joseph Rosenbaum, 36, and Anthony Huber, 26, and wounded uh, Gage... Grosenkrotz, 28. Yeah, we'll just call it, we'll just go with Gage, like Cher. Gage. <laughs> just go with Cher. Yeah. Well, he's alive, so we can be like a little bit more, you know. But, yeah, I mean, um, we could flip it about the about the other ones too. I <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. It, this is the, the worst trial I have ever seen in my life. I know that you haven't, you didn't get to watch all of it on um, Wednesday because you had physical therapy, but it's one of those things where you're like, again, what are we doing here? And... It it hasn't been going well for the the prosecution at all. Like, and I, to be quite honest, I mean, I obviously am familiar with the case. I remember when it happened, but then there was so much like moaning and groaning about it. It was one of those that I kind of just turned a blind eye to because I was tired of hearing about it. So I didn't know a lot of the specifics, and so I was like, a lot of the information that has been produced at trial has has been new to me. Um, but. Like, for instance, the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse's father lived in the city limits of Kenosha, as did like several of his family members. They made it seem like he just like trekked across state lines to to go shoot people. And that was not the case. But um, the prosecution's case is completely just imploding. And, you know, we run the risk of that everybody 
resting and the jury going back and delivering and deliberating and returning a verdict before the show drops. And in the event that that happens, I don't really care what we're going to say here about this stuff is um, still going to be relevant. But well, and tying this to the previous story, this kid was charged within days of the incident. And most of it's on video. Oh, yeah. Like almost everything except for a few, you know, going out of the view and out of the scene and and then back in. I mean, most of it is is on video. And but they put Gade. Go ahead. And his behavior before the incident is on video of Mm -hmm. him cleaning, uh, cleaning up the, the graffiti and things like that. All this is on video also of the documentation that uh, of what what this kid was doing. And I say kid, I, I understand he's he's a he's probably an, I guess he's an adult now. It's yeah, he was uh, seventeen y- at the time. Yeah, it's a year and a quarter later. Uh, but yeah, this is very well documented. Right, and and the so they they put Gage on the stand, and Lord, did it go bad because on cross, you know, he's a prosecution's witness, and on cross they said so, you know. When your arms were up in the air, he and you were had your hands up. He never fired, correct? And Gage says correct. And he says so. The defense attorney is like trying to drive it home. He says so. It wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him with your gun pointed at him, that he fired, right? And he said correct. And then there was this long silence in the courtroom because if that's the case, like what the f are we doing here? If 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 I have my hands up and you don't shoot me, and I point a gun at you and you do shoot me. Right. And, and, and look, I, I look at the lighter side of things. Uh, there, there was a meme that went around uh, last week. I think it was Thursday or it may have been Wednesday afternoon because, you know, mean people are pretty fast. Uh, and it's, the guy, it's, it's this guy, Gage, on the stand, and it says, uh, you effed around and found out. Is that correct? It says, correct. Yes. And there was another, though, where he was like, where it says, the dad's like, my kid's five. He gets a free meal, free kid's meal. And they're like, how old are you, son? He goes, I'm six. And the prosecutor, who is the dad in the thing, is like, no, like, you're supposed to say you're five. Because, I mean, if you say that, if it, like, his testimony alone, they should have said, they should have sent the jury back right then. Like, they should have just, that should have been it. Like, go go deliberate on that. But that wasn't the end of it. There was another um, witness who testified. And the prosecutors were like, so, you know, there was lots of tension and you were nervous and you were scared. But would it be correct to say that you came to us and you told us your story and we said, like, we told you that that's, you know, you didn't need to change your, you didn't need to change your story at all. And he's like, actually, no, you did tell me to change my story. There's a prosecutor's witness. Like, who? And, and again, that's all before Kyle Rittenhouse took the stand. Um, and, and for an 18-year-old, I think he did a phenomenal job. I mean, he was up there for, like, most of the day. Um, half of it, of course, was his um, his own attorney just drawing out the answers that he wanted. And then this guy who is, has to be the loser of the week. I mean, there is no other person as close as Daphne Totten and Barkley Black and the Ogeechee Judicial Circuit, like, run a close game. Thomas Binger from Kenosha, the ADA up there, he he clears the the award stage like it's just him. He is a complete and utter fool. The questions he was asking, I've never seen anything like it. Look, it it it, it reads like Perry Mason, where 
uh, it's a Hamilton Berger, who's always the prosecutor, and Perry just makes a uh, makes a mockery of him every week. Uh, I know this is even before my time, uh, but it, I don't know how the defense attorney kept himself from ripping his suit jacket off and doing victory laps around the courtroom as, as soon as this guy's like, that's correct. And then this guy's saying, no, you asked me to change my testimony. I mean, how do you stop yourself from like hopping on top of the, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, judge's bench and spiking the gavel? Well, and you could see, I mean, different cameras and different stations had different views, but if, the defense attorneys were livid at certain points when questions were being asked. And then other times they're just laughing because the questions were so ridiculous. Like they, it, you know, he, he belabored the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse said that he was a, he worked for the fire department, but really he was a firefighter in the firefighter cadet program. And he spent several minutes questioning about how long he worked at the rec department because he'd been furloughed at the YMCA and he only worked at the rec department for a few weeks before the Kenosha incident. And like, he's the only, the whole reason that he talked about working as a lifeguard is because when you're a lifeguard, they teach you life-saving skills like CPR and, and other, you know, airway things. And that went to his EMT experience that he had, he had mentioned, but like, the direction of these questions and he wanted he brought up the fact that his tiktok name before this kyle rittenhouse's tiktok name was four doors more whores and he <laughs> <laughs> but he's a kid he's 17 like i think he's it's a kid hilarious it's it's uh, uh, oddly somewhat witty for for a high school kid <laughs> it was funny and i mean like i'm sure the, and you know he's 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 like, you know, is it true that that was your name? And Kyle Rittenhouse is like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm a dumb 17-year-old kid who thinks, like, stupid stuff is funny. Like, I know that, I mean, if, I don't, their their parents watching that had to have laughed. Like, it doesn't mean that he, it doesn't mean anything. It just means that he's 17. And then. No, no, if he, if he was being arrested for human trafficking. Yes. Something like that. And your name is Four Doors More Whores. Okay. <laughs> That that's that's legitimate. Right. I mean, at no point it was like, now did you think this person was a whore right. when you right. shot him? I mean, right. I, I mean, it's totally ludicrous. And then it's, no, it's it's totally prejudicial. Well, what yes. they're trying to do is get somebody on that jury, uh, probably a, a female, on that jury to not like Kyle Rittenhouse because he used the term. Well, do you know how many women are on the jury? No idea. Eleven. Well. Yeah, I mean that's it's exactly what the prosecution was doing by by bringing that up. Exactly what they were doing well, is trying they... to get flip at least at this point the the prosecutor knows it's not going well. Of so course, if he can if he could submarine it, if he can get a mistrial, he can reset and do it again and figure out everything they did wrong and do. It. But the problem is, you try to do this trial again. All the prosecution witnesses that that uh, that answered the way they that uh, contrary to what they wanted, the, the defense is going to call. Oh yeah, as they should, and they should cite their testimony from the first. I mean, they it's, but the, the I mean, the only other thing I want to mention about like what the defense or the prosecutors try to do about his character was, I guess there was um some I guess there was a photo taken where, and Eric's going to have to bleep it, but you're going to know what I'm going to say. Um, he was wearing a t-shirt that said free as and he tried to like paint that as him 
being like gloating about it. I've seen trucks driving around with bumper stickers that say F- around and find out. I see people with shirts about like, you know, I mean, again, what does that have to do with the the night that he shot three people? Right. And look, again, this is it's, it's purely prejudicial is to try to get the jurors not to like him because he because he's 17 years old and wears a stupid shirt. Now look, it's distasteful. I w- I would not put that on my truck. I might put I might say that to somebody. Um uh, you know, I mean not aggressively, but But he's 17. Do we think right. 17-year-olds just like have the best like when it comes to discretion? I mean, the, the judge said so much that so we're going to we're going to jump to that in a minute, but Judge Schroeder who I think is like the hero of the week. I mean, he was I wish more judges were like him and would admonish prosecutors when they step over the line. I mean, he repeatedly told him like you're out of bounds. You you can't say that. You can't ask that. I told you not to do that. Where are you going with this? What are you thinking? Like he was all over the place, but he's like you're sitting here suggesting that because he made an a, a bad judgment with regard to an explicit shirt that he sh- that should somehow relate that was four months after the shootings that that should somehow like make the ju- and this of course was outside the presence of the jury but that this should somehow influence the jury and he's like I'm not buying it because like. Every single person in their life has made poor judgment on when to say something or not to say something. And and it doesn't mean that they're they're murderers or they they're not like it has nothing to do with it. Well, and at one point, the judge even said something to the effect of, I know you're an experienced trial lawyer. What are you doing? Right. Now, and then, I, and then the I did think the said, evidence of saying that he once wore a belt that didn't match his shoes was a little over the top. Mm hmm. Uh well and and so all so i'm sure if you if you don't we don't have time to play it on the show because it's kind of it's like a two and a half minute clip but i'll post it on the facebook page and a link to it but um there was a back and forth questions on bullet types and the judge like hounded him or the uh, prosecutor was hounding rittenhouse about using full metal jacket bullets instead of hollow points because and i quote he's like isn't it true that you know uh a hollow point will hit a deer and and explode inside and Kyle Rittenhouse is like well no I don't think that's exactly how it works and he's like well you know isn't it true that if you use a hollow point it will only explode in its first target and it doesn't go any further and that's why people use it and you chose to use full metal jackets and it went through someone and and I guess it like it doesn't stop at the first target and the judge is like you're wrong. You're wrong about what you're saying about bullets. Like there are exploding bullets and then hollow points expand. And like, he's like, okay, well fine. Tell me what would happen if you hit a deer with a hollow point. And Kyle Rittenhouse is like, I don't know anyone who uses hollow points to go deer hunting. Well, FMJs, especially out of a, out of a five, five, six or two, two, three do not necessarily over penetrate. It's a super light round. They, they tend to bounce around inside the body cavity. As a matter of fact, um, FMJs, full metal jackets, uh, are easier to obtain. And you got to think about uh, summer of, of 2020, you couldn't find ammo. So the fact that he could even find FMJs, it's, it's not like two years ago when you could go to the gun store and if you said, hey, look, I'm looking for, I'm looking for 5.56 ammo. And they go, okay, well, what are we doing with it? And they pull uh-huh. out 10 different boxes and go, this, this one does this, this one does that. Uh, but... The fact that he's asking for expert ballistic testimony 
from a kid who has no background in diagnosing ballistics. Well, and to suggest that he was being reckless by not carrying hollow points because someone else testified that they had hollow point bullets in their handgun and they were for self-defense, like, give me a break. I mean... If, if if the prosecutor is going to, in any case, talk about the type of bullet inside of a gun, we we're already way too far down the rabbit hole because as Kyle Rittenhouse said, and how's any, any, I mean, you treat any gun like it's loaded. A bullet is a bullet. It's going to do damage if when it hits what's on the other side of the, the barrel. Right. And, and real quick, as, as we're running long, uh, Wisconsin law says by self-defense and uh, it allows someone to use deadly force only if, quote, necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm. Uh, it sets two tests for jurors. First, they have to decide if Rittenhouse really believed he was in peril. Hindsight may show that he was wrong, but did he sincerely believe it at the time? Next, they must determine if Rittenhouse's belief was objectively, quote-unquote, reasonable to make that call. Jurors will be instructed to consider whether any reasonable person in Rittenhouse's shoes would have felt they had no choice but to shoot. Hell yes. Uh, you know, and, and Jessica, you've got awesome notes and all this, and, and I talked too much on, on the, the first couple stories. But uh, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the judge absolutely just hammered the prosecutor. And look, the jurors see that. Well, they, they see they see the judge getting exacerbated. They also see the looks on the the uh, the defense attorney's faces when they're smiling and laughing at the at the prosecutor's own witness. Right. And the jury didn't hear the audio. And I, I want to it's just a 20 second clip. So I want to play it real quick. But I mean, the jury didn't hear this, but this 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 needs to happen in so many more courtrooms when there's prosecutorial misconduct and overstep. So, Eric, if you'll just. You are already, you were, I, I was a, astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right, so, so, of course, we're all anxiously awaiting the verdict and kind of curious of what happens after the verdict if he's if he's exonerated it's gonna burn yeah i mean uh chicago police department already canceled uh scheduled days off uh for last weekend uh they did that in advance chicago uh was already doing unionized chicago right (laughs) internal memo uh to rank and file officers does not mention the Rittenhouse trial to the Fraternal Order of Police, uh, uh, but the uh, FOP made the connection, saying the move is possibly in anticipation of civil unrest. <sighs> you know what? Uh, it, it's going to burn either way, even if he's convicted of one count and gets mm-hmm. probation or something. It's going to explode. It never, it, you're never going to have the justice system do enough to to placate the woke crowd yeah the the rabble rousers people who want it to burn right so So, it's gonna burn no matter what so do the right thing and acquit him well do the right thing anyway i know that's a foreign concept to 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 a lot of these prosecutors and and stuff like that jessica on man this has been such a cheery episode do you have any closing thoughts 
No, because we're running long, and yours is something that I want to talk about, but I just got heavy on self-defense this week, so you go ahead. Uh, inflation numbers came out last week, came out Thursday. Uh, between 4 and 6% annually uh, at, at the end of October. When I say between 4 and 6%, that is based on where you live in the country. Georgia is, I think, on the lower end, like 4.6%. And then you look at California, New York, it's close to the 6%. That means, you know, I know everybody knows what it means, but from a, from a perspective of investing, if you have money sitting in an interest drawing account sub 1%, you're losing 4% to 6% of your money just sitting, not being invested. Also, the dollar that's sitting in your wallet right now or sitting in your account is worth the most it will be for the rest of your life. Sad, huh? Yeah. As as far as we follow like, it on on the value. I was about to say I feel like Eric's like closing music for us this week should be some like funeral procession or something like or taps. <laughs> or taps. Well, that'd be yeah. appropriate for last week. Yeah. No, that's Memorial Day, not not Veterans Day. So, for Jessica Lodgy, my partner in this endeavor, for Eric Cumbie, our awesome editor, I'm Dave Roberts. Have a great week. 